Our gracious King, we praise you and we thank you for you are a good God. You're a God that freely gives us grace and we praise you for that. We worship you this morning. We pray that you'd help me to give the word of God, speak your truth and help us all to receive this truth, Lord, and apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Good morning and thank you for having me here this morning. We'll get straight into the sermon. So, there are many people we hear about in church history that have lived great lives for Christ. Many people who have given their whole lives for Christ. Um, we, we hear of like the reformers and preachers and even lay church members. You hear of great stories of men and women doing, laboring much for Christ. Um, and and I'll, just to illustrate that further, I'll, I'll give an example of a man, of a conversation we have in, in Fox's book, uh, of a man who was actually being persecuted and he was, he was about to die because he was so keen to live for Christ. And his name was George and he was speaking to a friend and his friend said this to him just before he was about to die. His friend said, my friend George, do you not fear the death and punishment that you will suffer? If thou wert let go, would you not return to your wife and your children? He answered them, If I were set free, then where else would I go but to my wife and my beloved children? His friend then said, We'll revoke your formal sentence and opinion, take everything you said back, deny Christ, and you shall be set free. But George answered, My wife and my children are so dearly beloved to me that they cannot be bought from me for all the riches and the possessions of the Duke of Bavaria, but for the love of my Lord God, I will willingly forsake them. You know, I often wonder when when reading a story like this, because it's hard to think that someone's going to knock on my door and and persecute me for the name of Christ in the near future or or take my life for it. But I often think these men who are willing to die for Christ, how much more were they willing to live for Christ? You know, I don't know if you're like me, you like the war movies and you like the heroic, the heroes who die for their, their country or for anything like that. And you, and you read the biographies and you get, you know, and you get encouraged by those who even died for Christ. But, but these men who died, well, they got to there because they first lived for Christ. And, and, and we're going to get there this morning. So the question really is, um, us as Christians, are we doing what we are called Christ when we were saved. So my first point, which is, is there is no good works that can get us to heaven. That's my first point this morning. So we see in our reading this morning, I know it was a bit of a long reading, but we, we, read, we read two conversations, but it was really just one long conversation with two different people. And, and we see that from this morning, and we, and, we, and, we, and we'll look through it quickly. Now, I apologize, I won't be able to go through every detail for time's sake, but we'll quickly go through the, the conversation so we can get to the, the part of the parable. Okay? And, and we are very lucky to see these conversations and see the narrative of Christ answering these, these really good questions. So we see this young man who we, who we read had money, and he comes to Christ. And he asked this question in 19 verse 16. What good thing shall I do to have eternal life? So from this question, we straight away see that Christ's attention is being brought to eternal matters. This man asked this question, what shall I do to get eternal life? And it was a good question. You know, if we were in the time of Christ, I think 
we'd want to ask that question. And if we didn't ask, if we heard it being asked, we'd be listening pretty carefully. But his approach was different to the religious leaders. As we see in the Gospels, Jesus is always being tested. But we see this young man, and from what I can read, it's, it's like a genuine asking. His question was good, and he was genuine in asking it. But it wasn't the question that the young man had a problem with. See, I believe it was the answer. You see, the young man was not waiting for an answer that he could just take and act upon. He was sort of waiting for an answer that would be an approval on his life. He was coming to Christ and saying, I'm a pretty good guy, so just let me know that so that I can go to heaven and be on my way. The issue of the young man was that he loved his wealth more than anything. He he loved it more than God. He had something in his life as a higher priority than God. You know, sometimes we we think of ourselves better than this young man, but, but fortunately for this young man, Christ pointed out the depth of his sin. He he pointed out what was in his heart by showing him his covetous heart and his idolatry for money. You know, who of you, like if we think about it, we think of this young man, who of you have asked by Christ, have you kept the Ten Commandments, would be willing to say yes? Um, not only did he, did he say yes, but people around him didn't question it, or, or the Bible doesn't tell us that they said anything. So this man had a good reputation. I mean, he had people, there would have been a lot of people around him, as we, as we see in the Gospels. Um, and, and, and I know you guys go to a good church, so our, our pastor Chris, he always reminds us every week, how, how much of, um, we're, we're pretty much big sinners. You know, we sin a lot. He's always reminding us from Scripture how we're sinners. It's pretty hard to say yes to a question like that. Um, I think the, this young man needed a better church. But we, we need to know his ignorance and his misunderstanding of Scripture. You know, it, it was like the, the, the Old Testament, the Bible, the Scriptures could have been written in a complete alien language to this young man. And, and, we, and, we, and we can see this when Christ expounds Scripture in Matthew chapter 5. We see Matthew, and I'll give you just one example, Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 23, Christ speaking of, of the Old Testament law. He says, You have heard that he has said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. You see, Jesus is pointing out the standard of, of the scriptures, the standard of being righteous. Um, but sometimes we in our nature can't help but be self-righteous. We, we look at ourselves better than what we are, and we find it easy to bring God's law down to our own standard. I mean, we see it in society. They, they're always bringing God's laws down. Um, and, and I want to just to, I, I want to quote R.C. Sproul from his book, Holiness of God. And this is what he says on this matter. He says, In two decades of teaching theology, I have had countless students asking me, why doesn't God save everybody? Only once did a student come to me and say, there is something I just can't figure out. Why did God redeem me? Why did God save me? Sproul further goes on to summarize this statement. He goes, we are not really surprised that God has redeemed us. Somewhere deep inside, in the secret chambers of our hearts, 
we harbour the notion that God owes us his mercy. Heaven would not be quite the same if we were excluded from it. We know that we're sinners, but we are surely not as bad as we could be. You know, we, like many before us, think like this sometimes. If we look back at the text, at this point Jesus said to the young man, Sell all that you have and follow me. And the man walked away sad. He walked away sorrowful. Um, and, and you know what? And when Jesus pointed out his sin, he, he, didn't, he didn't deny it. He, he acknowledged it. He knew it. And he walked away sad. So after the young man left, we, we see again the disciples, um, the disciples being shocked. And, and Jesus said this to his disciples in verse 23 of uh, chapter 19. Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So we see God, God making us realize that it is pretty hard to keep the law, pretty hard to keep this standard. It's pretty hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's quite, like maybe we're used to these, we've read the Gospels and we're used to these, but they're, they're quite shocking statements. They're, they're quite extreme statements that Christ is saying. Um, and so his disciples ask another good question. And when he's in verse 25, and when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? If this man can't, this good man who kept the law, who was a good bloke, if he can't, then who can be saved? And and Christ, in, in what seems to be the fashion of him shocking people this in this text, we'll see in verse 26 his answer. And Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, Christ moved from saying that it is pretty hard for man to enter the kingdom of heaven to saying it is impossible. But we see that it is with God. And we'll get to that point in a sec. We just want to keep following the conversation to get, so we can get to the parable a bit quicker. Then Peter answered and said to him, and this is in verse 27, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? Again, we, we see Peter in his question. If you look at Peter's question, he is looking at himself. He, he's saying to Jesus, look what I've done. I've left all I had. And, and if you really look at it, I mean, Peter was just a fisherman. So, I mean, it's not that much. But he did leave everything. Everything he thought, it was a lot to Peter. And, and, he, and, he, and he's pretty much saying, like, I'm, I've done pretty good, so what's my reward? You know, he, he's looking at himself, just like the, the rich young ruler, the rich young man, okay? Peter was looking at himself. And, and this text, this part of the text really amazes me because, you know, Jesus wasn't shy to rebuke Peter as he did in chapter 18. But he doesn't. I mean... Peter, who is only standing there because of God, Peter, who only has breath because of God, because God gives him breath, asking this question, you think Christ's response would be harsh. But, but it's not. Um, you see, Christ, Christ took what he said 
I took his answer, instead of rebuking, it took his, his pride and his self-righteousness, and then he, he sort of, in a way, he taught him humility. And, and we'll see that, we'll see that in this text. So, we'll read verse 28, but this brings me to my second point. And my second point, only grace. It is only grace. You know, Jesus says, but with God, it is possible. And we'll see now, Peter's, Peter's response Peter's looking to himself, and we see Jesus' answer. Jesus' answer, not with rebuke, but with promise. So Jesus said to them, um, in verse 28, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or children, or fields, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much, and will inherit eternal life. Christ shows mercy in his answer. You see, not only did Christ promise to Peter, but he promised to everybody. He said, Whoever, everybody, all people who make sacrifice will be rewarded. And Christ illustrates this conversation. And, and, and we just went through this conversation pretty quickly. But now we're getting to the parable that I'll be speaking about this morning. And, and Christ, in trying to, in, not trying to, he did, in illustrating this, in, in, sorry, trying to expound this conversation, he illustrates through this parable. But he starts with a proverb. And he says this in verse 30, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. He, he is simply saying, and as, as Josh said pretty clearly this morning, that we will all finish equal under the grace of God. We will all have the same reward of eternal life in salvation. Um, MacArthur illustrates it like this. He's like, everybody who's running a race, you see a race, and it's like everybody who ran that race finishes exactly at the same time. If they all finish exactly at the same time, then the reward is exactly the same. And, um, and, 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 and that's what this proverb is saying. So if we look at the par- parable, um, and, and just know that this parable, we, we, it's, it's, it's a simple illustration, and, and Christ is not asking us to dissect every single word of this parable. It's just a simple illustration um, showing the depth of this parable that we'll all finish equal under the grace of God. And just another thing to keep in mind is remember the first question. We're still dealing with the same conversation. We're still dealing with eternal life. We're still dealing with eternal matters. Um, and, and not much more. So we look at verse 1 in chapter 20. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into the vineyard. We first have a landowner who needed workers. So he goes into the marketplace and he, and he agrees, he has an agreed amount for a denarius a day. So um, scholars say that it, it was a good wage. It was a good day's wage. Some say it was, it was a bit more than a good day's wage. But if you got offered this, you'd, you'd definitely go to work. And, and actually, again, Josh really illustrated really well. They were desperate for money. So back then, when they went to work, it was, it was at times literally so they could feed their family that same day. 
So it wasn't like they were, you know, saving up for a trip to Europe at the end of the year. I mean, we go desperate for work so we can go on holidays and that. But for them, it was to eat. So they were quite desperate waiting for this. Um, okay, so we see, so we see in the parable, he, he sends the first person out at the beginning of the day. So it's a 12-hour work day, and he offers them a day's wage. But then he goes again in the parable, another four times as we just read. He goes out in the third hour, in the sixth hour, the ninth, and the eleventh hour. Okay, and yeah, so it's 12 hours, not over time. So, sounds pretty rush, rough, but that was pretty normal back then. So with the, the last four groups, he didn't agree. We don't know why. It could be because he was respectable. People knew him in the marketplace. It could just be because they saw how well the money was for the first group, that they all just offered to go without even, without even asking or agreeing for a wage. So now this may be... Um, okay, sorry. So we see the men going in and there's no, there's no really uh, confusion. They all just went to work. So there's no doubt about that. They all just went and they started to work. So in the parable, the owner goes out and calls these men who are desperate for work and gives them work. Um, and, the, and the meaning of this parable is not directly in the work, but in the reward, as we, as we just spoke about. And, and this is teaching us more about the owner or about the master rather than, than, than the workers. So we'll go to verse 8, and we'll see they've all worked their day, and he's called them back, and we'll see from verse 8 what happens. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wage, beginning with the last ones hired, and go on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received denarius. So when those came who who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired the last worked only one hour, they said. And you who have have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the work and the heat of the day. You see, the people who worked 12 hours looked at the people who worked one hour and got paid the same. And they start saying it's unfair. And uh, if you're like me, you read this story many times in Sunday school and things like that, you know the ending. So it's not really a shock. I remember teaching this, this story in, in an ESL class, and many people had never heard it. And they were furious. They were absolutely furious. I had like 12 people in the room, and they started arguing with each other. This is unfair. How could this happen? And in my head, I'm laughing, and I'm like, well, this, this is so true. I never saw it that way. It actually is unfair. Rightly, rightly enough, if, if I worked that say, if I worked 12 hours and someone worked one hour, I'd be pretty upset. I, I think I would be saying the same thing. Um, but, but, but we look at the response. But let us look at the response of the, of the landowner. But he answered one of them and said, and this is verse uh, 13, sorry. Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? 
he starts by, by speaking to, it seems to one of them in a direct way, in a personal way. He, he says, friend. He goes up to him and, he, and, he, and, he, and, it, and it seems it's, it's pretty personal. And he points out a few things. He, he, he's, it's like he's teaching him a lesson. And the first thing he says, he says, I paid you what we agreed. Is that not fair? Am I not fair? And, and I think if we think about it today, it is fair. If I say to you, can you do this for me? And I would give you a certain amount of money. Um, then it's fair. Every time I hire a worker, um, the first thing they ask me is, how much am I getting paid? And I tell them how much I'm getting paid. And when they work, well, they expect that exact money to the dollar or I'll be in trouble. So it's fair. It is fair. And, he, and, he, and, that's what, and that was his first point. We see the second thing he says. He says, do, not, do I not have the right to do with my own things whatever I want? It's my money. Do I not have the right to give freely with my money? Um, and I think that also is hard, hard to argue. These are pretty fair statements, pretty honest statements. And the last thing he said, he said and he's pointing out to the, the, the wickedness of the man's heart, he said, you were envious because I'm generous. You were jealous because I am generous. You see, you were not angry because I was being fair. You were angry because you were jealous. See, because you know that I am fair. But you were just upset because I am being generous. You see, the kingdom of God, do not be mistaken, the kingdom of God is not going to be full of grumbling people. Like I said, the parable is just a simple illustration. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be people grumbling about they didn't receive enough grace because we will all receive enough grace if we are in the kingdom. But God is illustrating the generosity. Christ is illustrating the generosity of God. He is simply saying that God is more than fair. You see, God is more than fair. His grace is generous. See, because if God were only fair, if God gave us all what we rightly deserve because of our work, because of our merit, then we'd all rightly deserve hell. We'd all rightly deserve punishment because of our sin. But God, who is a generous God, freely gives of His grace. You see, it's His grace to give, and He can freely give it to whom He wants, because it is His. And God, like the owner of the vineyard, walks into the marketplace of men and freely gives His grace. What a great Savior that is. The reality is our work on earth does not merit us to eternity and doesn't give us the right to any sort of reward. Not at all. But because of His grace, we receive a reward. The reality God hires and gives us the privilege to do work which we already owe Him. On top of that, He freely gives us a reward with, with the work that we undeserve. He gives us an undeserving reward. It's even hard for me to say those words because they don't make sense. An undeserving reward. But that's the kind of God, that's the kind of salvation that Christ is illustrating in this. So we see here, the parable's finished off in verse 16. So the last will be first and the first will be last. You see, it doesn't matter how much we work. Um, and how much effort we give, but it is God's grace that saves us. 
Um, if we could quickly look at two people in Scripture, we look at someone like Timothy, who, whose grandmother and, and mother raised him in the faith, and then he goes on to be uh, a pastor, and, and, he, and he seems to be a faithful man. So Timothy is the kind of guy we can assume spent his whole life in the first century Christianity, which would have been very hard to be a Christian in that time with persecution and, and hard times. And, and he, he worked through the struggle. And then we look at the, and then we look at the story of the man who was next to Christ on the cross, that, that criminal, that man who probably lived a horrible life by any standard, who was probably a murderer, we, I don't think we know, but, but, but he and Timothy, when they stand in the eternal kingdom, will both receive the same eternal life. But because it's because of grace, because of grace they were saved, not because of their works. And we see that um, illustrated. And, and this brings me to our last point. You see, the first point is there nothing we can do to enter heaven. And the second point, that it is all of grace. But I'm not going to let you off that easily this morning. My third point is that we are called to work Work hard and enthusiastically to the end. And see, we see in this passage, the, the people in the passage we read, that, that we can be self-righteous. Like the rich young ruler, like Peter, we, we can look at ourselves as, as self-righteous sometimes. And sometimes we, we'd, we'd like to think, we'd like to earn our way to eternal security. We'd like to work and work to be able to to have eternal security. But we learn that it is only possible through God. It is only Christ's generosity and His work on the cross that brought us salvation. Um, and it is, that, it is that mindset, it is that understanding of the grace of God that should really drench us with gratitude and obedience to God and to do His work. Um, and so we've got to ask ourselves, um, you know, why, why, why do we work for the kingdom? Why, why do we, we labor much for God? Um, and the second thing I, I want to bring up is, knowing that our reward is all of grace, do we work hard for the reward? You know, our, our natural way is to be lazy. I, I can tend to be very lazy. And, um, and, and, and sometimes we, you know, like, being lazy is probably my preferred living mode, you know, to... You know, sit at home and just watch TV and kick back. It's it's very very preferred. But 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 we actually called to work. You, you see, the illustration of the vineyard. We see the men. They were called and they got to work straight away. They got to work, um, and it had nothing to do with their reward. Their work had nothing to do with the reward, but they did work, and we see that. Um, I'd like to read from Ephesians two and verse eight. For the grace of God, no no. For by grace. You have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are his workmanship, created by Christ for good works. We are saved, and the first two chapters of Ephesians is, is talking about our salvation and our inheritance and our reward in Christ. But we are saved, we're His workmanship created for good works. And we are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, daily walk in them. And to, be, and to just give some practical, um, practical applications this morning to, 
um, we see here, and I'll, and I'll give you some examples. So in the church, uh, in this church here, in our church at Smithfield, there are many functions. There is something for each person to do, um, and not just in the church, but in our communities. And I'll just I'll list a few, um, just to encourage us to search our hearts and, and, and maybe search and see where God will have us be working in gratitude. Simply, do we love one another? Do we encourage? Uh, do we exhort? Um, do we go to the world and make disciples? Do we teach younger Christians to, to observe us as we do these things? Um, if we do not have those gifts above, do we, do we find what is physical that we could do in serving one another? Maybe God has blessed us to give with money, or maybe our abilities are in administration. Um, do, we, do we work um, every day in our daily lives? Um, are, are, are our lives a reflection of Christ in our work? Do we, in our jobs, in our schools, um, in our homes, you know, as mothers or fathers or brothers and sisters, or in our communities? Um, are, are we, are we working? Are we working daily for the kingdom? Um, and, and, and I know some of you, and just to encourage you, I know some of you may have been in the faith for many years. Some of you may have been doing it for the 11 hours. Um, and some younger people have just come up. And, and Spurgeon wrote on this, and it was, and it was pretty encouraging. And, and he said it to, to those who are a bit older in the faith. He says, eventually, and he's talking against the world's philosophy. Like the world's philosophy is, as you get older and you've done your hard work, slow down. Now take it easy. But Spurgeon said this. He said, eventually, however, our pace begins to slow down, but we think it's because our life can be better sustained in this way. I pray that God will continue to give you the energy of youth through the power of the Holy Spirit. So he encourages us not to slow down, but encourages us to keep going. And I encourage the older Christians to encourage the younger Christians to labor as you've labored, and the younger Christians to, to you know, latch on to an older Christian, and, and, and whatever it is, you know, mentoring or discipling or whatever it is, and, and as a church, as a community, to help each other labor um, towards the cause of Christ. Um, The, the, parable, the parable doesn't encourage us to be jealous of, of one another. But the parable encourages us to look to God, to look at, to Christ. You see, our God is a great master. He's a great landowner. And he calls us because of his wonderful grace. And, and he calls us and he saves us. And, and really, it's only possible because of God and there's nothing we can do. But like I encourage you this morning, in gratitude, we should work for the kingdom. I hope that you are dependent on the work of the blood of Christ for your salvation. That you are dependent on believing in Jesus, in repentance, um, and believing that Jesus Christ is the only Savior that, that gives eternal life. And if that is your hope, I hope that you're living in gratitude for this salvation willing and wanting to sacrifice all for the sake of Christ. You see, we look at these heroes and we, and of the faith and we think, how great these men that they died. You know, but we can only reach death by living for Him. So I encourage you this morning, in gratitude of His, of his wonderful and great grace, this reminder of God's grace this morning, that we live 
for the King every day. Now let me close in prayer. Our God, we, we thank you. We thank you for this grace that you've freely given us. We thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross. We thank you for that sacrifice that brought our salvation. We thank you for such wonderful our salvation it is. And Lord, I pray if anyone here who has not called on you for salvation, who has not repented, we pray that you convert your heart. We pray that you draw them to you and that you put your grace upon them. We pray for us as Christians, as every day is a daily battle. Lord, we pray that we'd find our place in your kingdom. We pray that we'd, we'd look to your word and seek instruction. Um, firstly, to be pure and to, to turn away from sin and to understand your law and who we are as sinners and only saved by grace. But secondly, Lord, that, that we'd seek to find our gifts and our talents that we may work for you, Lord. Help us to work for you every day because you are our loving God and our Father and our King. Uh, we praise you and we thank you. We pray that you bless us on your day. We pray that you bless the prayer meeting this evening and that you bless us during the week as we go out um, and be ambassadors for you. We pray in Jesus' name.